Correction takes humility. The reason why people live contrary to God's word is because they do not have the humility necessary to be obedient to it. Many people have come into contact with the word of God and they didn't like it because it did not align with what they wanted, so they either rebuked or ignored it. This has been an issue with God's people since God made people. Hi, I'm Fanny Asabi, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning into today's sermon, Attitude Towards God's Corrective Word. In it, we look at Micah's oracles in Micah 2, 6-13 and Amaziah in 2 Chronicles 25 to see the importance of humility when receiving a corrective word from God. Hopefully, this sermon helps us humble ourselves when we encounter God's word, especially when it corrects us. Sometimes taking correction can be difficult, but we do it. Other times, we just flat out refuse to do it, not because we know that it's wrong, but because it's just, we don't want to accept the message because last time we heard it, it put us in a bad place or because it means that we have to change our thinking. But something about it offends us to the core and... We would just rather not do what we're told even when we know it's right. The difficult thing about that is as children of God, we're not afforded that option with God. God has either his way or some would say the highway, but Satan's way. All rebellion is essentially following after the devil. So we know that when God tells us something, we must do it. But that doesn't mean that every time we hear what God wants us to do, we welcome it with open arms. And understanding that, we recognize also that the messages that we hear has either one or two sources. It's from God or it's not from God. Now, as we look at the book of Micah, what Micah has been telling people is a message from God. That message is not always comfortable. That message is not always accepted, but that message is always true because it is validated by the God who cannot lie. As we look at the second um, chapter of Micah, there's a section in here where Micah is talking to God's people who, one, don't want to accept what God has to say. But part of the reason they don't want to accept what God has to say is because it encroaches upon some of their pleasures that they have received in this life. And so what they actually do is tell them, don't prophesy. And as Christians, that's a, that, that, that's a charge we hear from the world a lot. Don't tell me what God says. I don't want to hear it. I would rather live how I'm living comfortably and claim ignorance than be confronted with truth, which demands that I change, a change that I'm not going to make. So don't tell me that. I don't want to hear it. But the message still must be delivered. What I want us to do is really look at chapter 2, verses 6 through 13. And then there's a story in 2 Kings that I think kind of fits with this. It's not perfect, but it fits enough to where we see what happens 
when you listen to God and also what happens when you don't listen to God. So Micah 2, 6 through 13. Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. House of Jacob, should it be said, does the Lord become impatient? Does he do such things? Do not my words do good to those whose ways are upright. Lately, my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care. Like man returning from battle, you drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessings from their children forever. Get up, go away, for this is not your resting place because it is defiled. It is ruined beyond all remedy. If liars and deceivers come and say, we will prophesize for you plenty of wine and beer, they would be just the prophets for this people. I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like a sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. This oracle from Micah starts off at a familiar but difficult place for people who would tell others what God says. Don't prophesy to us. We do not want to hear what the Lord God has to say. These things that you're saying that's condemning us, that's going to disgrace us, it's not going to happen to us. We serve a gracious God. He will not grow impatient with us. He's not going to do these things. That's essentially what the prophets are saying, the false prophets are saying to Micah. Don't tell us this condemnation. You know God loves us. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. And so he's going to put up with the things that we're doing because we are his people. And by the way, what are you saying? He's not even going to do that. And what's their rationale? Because that's what they want to accept. Just like many people, they believe that their understanding, their interpretation of God is correct solely because they said it has no scriptural basis, has no no origin with God. It all comes from their hearts. And that's the people that Micah is told to prophesy to. We looked in chapter one with the Bible class on how Micah had given this condemnation, this oracle of doom that you are going to go into exile Israel because you have been taken over by idolatrous worship. And that worship has gotten so bad, you brought it to the gates of Jerusalem where my temple is and you've influenced people to do that. You are going to suffer. And nobody wants to hear that they're going to suffer. And so they say, don't tell me that. And this is God's response. If you do what I say, 
Wouldn't you benefit? Do not my words do good to those whose ways are upright? If you listen, you will receive the blessings that I want to give. But lately, my people have become an enemy because the message that they have chosen to accept as the one that they follow has caused them to live immorally, to victimize those who have, to abuse the power that they have at their possession, all in the name of following me. Look at some of the charges that God gives against his own people. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care. You drive the woman of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessings from their children forever. Because of that, this will not be your resting place. You will go into exile. You will suffer the consequences of your ways because you have ruined, defiled my land that I promised to give Abraham as a place to inherit for all of his generations, a place of flowing with milk and honey. But you have desecrated this place with your sins. And so now you must leave. And what's sad is you have people lying to you whose message you accept. You have liars who tell you sweet nothings, who come and tell you things from my <coughs> temple that I haven't sent. And you take these messages. And you don't even judge the messengers. If somebody would come who was drunk, who was out of their mind and prophesied to you, you would allow that to be your prophet. And the very things that Micah is saying that God is delivering through this prophet to those in Jerusalem during those days, we see now. There are a lot of people who disregard the word of God because it does not align with what they want and the message that they have chosen to accept as truth causes them to live immorally, to, to disrespect other people, to take advantage of people who are vulnerable. And they just listen to anybody who has a sweet tongue. They don't even judge the character of the message. And it causes those who are listening who are seeing what God sees, who are listening for what God is saying, to say, what is wrong with you? How do you not see the error of your ways? And when you try to tell them right, they do not want to hear it. But we serve a gracious and loving God. Because God, knowing all of this, knowing the destruction that he's going to bring about to his people, he still has a good word for them. 
I will gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like a sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go out before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them. The Lord at their head. Now I was doing a little bit of uh, studying for this passage. And what I came across, something interesting. They say that a way that the shepherd gets the sheep out of the uh, gate is they just break one part and one sheep will go through and then the rest will follow. We're like that, huh? People are like sheep. Good and bad. If I see somebody going one way, somebody else will follow. And next thing you know, everybody's going that way. But that's the way that the shepherd will get the sheep. They just make one break in the gate, one sheep will come through, and then eventually they all will come through. And so this is what God is saying was going to happen to his people, that you are going to be gathered a multitude of my people, a remnant of God followers will be together, and I'm going to come and get them, and I will be at their head, their king will pass through before them and their king will be their Lord. And we know that this prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus. A bunch of Micah's prophecies are pointing to Christ. And so it's encouraging as Christians to be able to look at what God told his people years ago who were sinning, that their sin had not removed them so far from God that he didn't still want to act for their good. And so we know that God ultimately wants good for us and that good is found in Christ. So that tells us we must work on ourselves. Because what Jesus tells us is not always comfortable. Some of the things that we're told through Christ steps on our toes and it hurts and it challenges us and it demands that we change, but we just don't want to because that message it's not comfortable. It's uneasy. Because that means we have to lose some of ourselves to be more of what God wants us to be. But when we understand what God is calling us to, it makes it a little bit easier. But that doesn't always mean that we accept it at first. Now, if you turn with me to Second Chronicles 25, there's a king and his name is Amaziah. And Amaziah, while he wasn't alive during the, the prophesying days of Micah, he was the grandfather of Jotham, one of the kings that Micah prophesied to. And Amaziah is interesting because in it we see two responses to the word of God. One of acceptance, the other of denial. Reading this oracle, it reminded me of Amaziah because... Of how it starts off. Do not prophesy to me. You can't tell me what God says. He's the king. One would think from a worldly perspective. He has that authority to do such. But from spiritual understanding. We know that nobody has the right to tell a messenger of God. I do not want to hear what God has to say. But let's listen a little bit to what scripture says about 
Amaziah, and we'll might shed a little bit of light as to why he takes that stance. Because he doesn't start off there. And that's what is kind of troubling. Because we don't always start on the wrong foot. Sometimes we start off on the right foot. And something in our spiritual life happens that causes us to be resistant to God's word. Second Chronicles 25. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Jehoadan. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. After the kingdom was firmly in his control, he executed the officials who had murdered his father, the king. Yet he did not put their children to death, but acted in accordance with what was written in the law in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded parents should not be put to death for their children, nor children be put to death for their parents. Each of you will die for your own sin. Keep in mind that it says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. Amaziah called the people of Judah together and assigned them according to their families, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds for all Judah and Benjamin. Then he mustered those 20 years old or more and found that there were 300,000 men fit for military service, able to handle the spear and shield. He also hired 100,000 fighting men from Israel for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him and said, your majesty, these troops from Israel must not march with you for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any other people of Ephraim. Even if you go and fight courageously in battle, God will overthrow you before the enemy for God has the power to help or to overthrow Amaziah asked the man of God, but what about the hundred talents I pay for these Israelite troops? It's an interesting question. Because we do understand that sometimes we make decisions before we consult God. And when we get what God has to say about our situation, we find that we actually messed up and we're going to have to take a loss. That we went a little bit ahead of ourselves and we're going to have to suffer some negative consequence because of that decision that we made. But why does God say Amaziah can't take these soldiers with him? Because God is not with the Israelites. We should be mindful of who and who is not with God before we make decisions to step out with them. Because if they're not with God, it's highly unlikely that your endeavor will be successful or blessed by God. But back to scripture. The man of God replied, the Lord can give you much more than that. I like that. Whatever we lose, Doing right by God, God can give us much more than that. So Amaziah dismissed the troops who had come to him from Ephraim and sent them home. They were furious with Judah and left for home in a great rage. 
Amaziah then marshaled his strength and led his army to the Valley of Salt, where he killed 10,000 men of Seir. The army of Judah also captured 10,000 men alive, took them to the top of a cliff and threw them down so that they were all dashed to pieces. Meanwhile, the troops that Amaziah had sent back and had not allowed to take part in the war raided towns belonging to Judah from Samaria to Ben-Haran. They killed 3,000 people and carried off great quantities of plunder. You see what just happened? The very troops that Amaziah had paid for that he said, I'm not going to use, and he sends back, they're upset because they can't go to war. And why are they upset? Because they know that if they were victorious in war, that they would have gotten some plunder from the enemies that they defeated. And they're pretty sure they feel like they missed out on something. So what do they do? They say, I'm going to have my plunder. So on their way back home, they go through Jerusalem and they plunder and they kill 3,000 people. So not only does Amaziah lose out on the silver that he paid, his towns get plundered. Some of the people in his nation get killed. And these are all consequences from doing what God said do. But you have to ask yourself, why does he have to suffer these consequences? Because he aligned himself with those who were against God before he even consulted God. So if he would have just consulted God first, he would have been told the victory is yours. You do not need help. He would have never lost out on the silver. He would have never offended the Israelites and they would have never had cause to raid his towns and kill his citizens. But he did right by sending them home. And doing what God tells us to do sometimes causes us to take a loss in more than one ways. But what did the man of God tell Amaziah? God can give you back more than this. We have to wait for God to repay us back more than what we lost. Now, scripture told us that he followed God. How? With a half heart. We heard how he followed. Now, let's see if he continues in that vein. Verse 14, when Amaziah returned from slaughtering the Edomites, he brought back the gods of the people of Seir. He set them up as his own gods. He bowed down to them and burnt sacrifices to them. The anger of the Lord burned against Amaziah and he sent a prophet to him who said, why do you consult this people's gods, which could not save their own people from your hand? That is a very good question. He goes out and conquers these people, takes their God, and then serves it. After God had granted them the victory. And what does God do? Does God destroy them? No. 
He sends a prophet back to him and asks him a simple question. Now, what would we think his response would be based upon how he responded at first? We would think he would hear the word of God and accept it and get in line with it. But scripture says his heart was halfway towards God. So what about this other half? While he was still speaking, the prophet referring to, the king said to him, have we appointed you an advisor to the king? Stop. Why be struck? Just like in Micah. Don't prophesy to me. And then he takes it a little bit further. Why lose your life? Shut up or die. So the prophet stopped, but said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. We cannot expect good to happen from this. You see, that's why it's important if we have a heart for God to cultivate that faith, because there's going to be times in our lives when we go out on faith and we listen to God and we have gone a little bit further than we were supposed to. And we made rash decisions and we have to suffer the consequences of those decisions and suffer a loss to some extent. But we still must obey God. We still must do what God says, even after we suffered some type of punishment for harassed decisions, for getting intertwined with the wrong crowds, because that's a consequence of life. And when we're told God's word, we must have the same acceptance when we first heard it as we continue our walk with God, no matter what it costs us. Because I believe that what had happened was Amaziah is full of pride. Amaziah starts counting the things that he lost because he started listening to what God said. And Amaziah is a king and he does not want to be corrected by this prophet who's coming and challenging the decisions that he has made. And he he wants to get back what was lost and what was taken. He wants to make himself assertive in this world political scene. And he wants to go back and fight Israel to get back what he lost. Verse 17. After Amaziah, king of Judah, consulted his advisors, not God, he consulted his advisors. He sent this challenge to Jehoash, son of Jehoah, to Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel. Come meet me face to face. But Jehoash, king of Israel, replied to Amaziah, king of Judah, a thistle in Lebanon sent a message to a cedar in Lebanon. Give your daughter to my son in marriage. Then a wild beast in Lebanon came along and trampled the thistle underfoot. You say to yourself that you have defeated Edom and now you are arrogant and proud, but stay at home. Why ask for trouble and cause your own downfall and that of Judah also. Amaziah, however, would not listen. That's his second warning. The first one from the prophet. 
Now, this one coming from Israel, they had just plundered his city. He had just paid them to come help. So I'm pretty sure that he believes he knows that he's a little bit stronger because he came and got him to help him. He says, you don't want these problems. Amaziah, however, would not listen for God so worked that he might deliver him into the hands of Jehoash because they sought the gods of Edom. What prophet are you listening to? You see, his advisors whom did not tell him that it was wrong to take these gods of Edom and listen to him, got him in a position to where now God is against him. And we cannot get so comfortable to think that just because we were faithful in one incident and God worked our, the situation on our behalf here, that our defiance will be overlooked and God will continue to grant us grace and to, to, to bless us in our defiance. So he is delivered into the hands of Jehoash. He and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced each other at Bethshemesh in Judah. Judah was routed by Israel and every man fled to his home. Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh. Then Jehoash brought him to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate, a section of about 400 cubits long. He took all the gold and silver and all the articles found in the temple of God that had been in the care of Obed-Edom together with the the palace treasures and the hostages and return to Samaria. Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, lived for 15 years after the death of Jehoash, son of Jeho Jehoahaz, king of Israel. As for the other events of Amaziah's reign from the beginning to the end, are they not written in the books of the kings of Judah and Israel? From the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they conspired against him in Jerusalem and he fled to Lachish. But they sent men after him to Lachish and killed him there. He was brought back by horse and was buried with his ancestors in the city of Judah. It's a challenging and difficult story. Because in some kind of way, we find ourselves in it. Because there's times in our lives to where we are gung-ho and we're listening to what God has to say for us, this message that comes to us, even when it means that we must suffer a loss to some extent, we accept it. But then, there's times when the Word of God challenges us. When the Word of God Cause something from us that we just do not want to do, maybe because of pride, maybe because things didn't work out the last time, maybe because I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to feel ashamed, maybe because it's the wrong person to give me the message. But we just don't fully accept it, even when we know it's from God. And when we step out in that lane, and defiantly reject God's word, 
we put ourselves on the path to destruction. So that's why it's very important for us to never get to the point to where we can say, do not prophesy God's word. Because prophesying is basically just saying what God says. It's not always foreseeing the future and saying what's going to happen to me three years from now. All it is doing is telling me what God says. And there's situations that we know in life that God tells us what we don't want to hear, but that's probably when we need to hear it the most. Because that's part of a heart that God wants to work on. And unless we do the opposite of what Amaziah did, we're going to have the same results. Because we see that it wasn't just the fact that he made a bad decision in that instance. We see that this led to a series of bad decisions to where it talks about that he turned away from God and he got killed in his fleeing God, in his disobedience. And we don't know when we're going to transition out of this life. But we do know when we stop listening to God. So when we ever get to that point to where we see scripture, hear a message from God, then we should really get on our knees and pray and ask God for guidance. Because we don't only need help in obeying God's word, we need help in accepting the message. Because sometimes that message comes from sources that we just do not like. We just don't want to hear from that person. Or this is not the right time to be telling me this. And we find ourselves somewhat like Amaziah. Who made you a counselor to me? Go somewhere or I'm going to put you in your place. And you know what God's response is? I'm going to show you. So we must be humble. Because scripture is replete with passages to where those who were disobedient to God suffered the consequence of their disobedience. But we also have to recognize that a message only comes from one or two places. It comes from God or it's not of God. And if it's not of God, it cannot have a godly result. So we must be very aware of the source of the message because what can happen is we start following the messages. We start heeding the people that we like. They present it in a way that's more palatable. They, they, they tell us it not as harsh as God does. They say the things that we want to hear. You are fine just the way you are. You don't have to change. 
God is gracious. God is patient. God loves you. He wouldn't condemn you, his child. You don't have to change. That person that told you that you're not doing right, they don't know what they're talking about. Who is Micah? He's just somebody who's just upset because he can't have the prestige that I do. Enjoy your life. And those messages lead us further and further away from God. But they feel good as you're walking away. And the ones that bring us closer to God, they hurt. Because it chips away at things that are fundamentally part of who we have become over the years. And it causes us to take a deep look in the mirror and say, am I really willing to change for God or am I going to die in my sin? Now, I don't know what that sin is. And I'm not going to presume that if we died right now, we go to hell. But what I do know is that there is some part of us that we can mold for God, that we can work upon, that, that God is some kind of way has shed light on that we need to change. And that's the difficult thing. Because you know what we can do with our Bibles? We can turn the page. Oh, no, that, that, I'm not going to read that right now. <laughs> yeah, tear it out. Let me go to the Gospels. Let me read about where Jesus died for me and my sins are forgiven. And let me not look at those parts that are challenging, that are difficult. And sometimes we need the difficult message so that we can be full recipients of the grace afforded. Because God's message does not end in doom and gloom. What he's actually trying to do is get us to the point to where his sheep, when he comes and gets them, they will follow him wholeheartedly. And heaven will be our home. And God has brought us together, brought us here for the purpose of glorifying him. And so let's continue to do such. But as we do such, let's not be, let's not overlook the fact that God is challenging each and every one of us in a very personal way to be the best that we can be. Because that's what he wants. And he has given us his spirit to help us with it. So let's not fight it. Let's embrace it. Because we're going to come across scripture. We're going to come across people. We're going to come across messages that we don't want to hear, but we need to. And with God's help, we'll hear it. We won't be like Amaziah, who starts off good. And ends bad. We all know those stories. But we also know those stories. Where people start off bad. And end good. 
And so we want our trajectory to continue to rise until God takes us with him eternally. And then when we get to heaven, I don't know how it'll be, but I want each and every person that comes here to see uh, each other with the big old, some would say Kool-Aid smile. <laughs> and be like, I'm glad you made it. My brother, my sister. And that'll be our story if we continue to let God's word change us. The message is yours. I'm not sure where that hit you, but I was just hoping to encourage and challenge us to work on those parts of our lives that we need to. To let those messages that we sometimes don't want to hear impact us in such a way that mold us more into the image of Christ. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.